Hello, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Anna Loder from readabook.com.au. I'm a lifelong reader and book lover and a long-time book club member. 15 years, I can't believe it. I've been a bookseller for 13 and now I'm a reviewer and blogger. This is a weekly podcast celebrating that love of books and reading. I'm so excited to be in your ears today. Before we get started, can I quickly pay my respects to the Darawal people of the Uyora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which I work, play, read and live on. Along with the traditional owners of the lands throughout Australia, I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Let's get started. Okay, I've got two minutes before Sophie Green comes on, so I just wanted to quickly say how much I'm looking forward to talking with her this afternoon. Obviously, she is a best-selling author. I loved Fairvale, I loved Shelley Bay, I loved Thursdays, I loved Bell Bird, of course. I'm a huge Sophie Green fan. She's been to the shop twice before, and I got to interview her for the Bell Bird River Country Choir earlier this year as a Club W event, which was unreal. I was stoked to be invited. This, I believe, is going to be more of a chat of just her life in general, how she gets through everything that she does, how she gets to have three full-time jobs and thrive in all of them. I think she will also be talking about how good it is to be a reader, which obviously we all know about. I cannot wait to talk to her about her overarching themes that she talks about in all of her books, small town communities, female friendship. The accidental friendship is what I really like that she talks about, those people that you accidentally meet when you're going for a swim first thing in the morning. Or, you know, I had a million and one of those people that I'd say hello to in the morning and it's not until later that you're like, really? Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, Sophie, thank you. Oh, my goodness. You were on my hit list months ago, but you're too busy. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I was, would have happily spoken to you months ago. Oh, really? Oh, Yay. thank you. That's a good lesson to learn. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, Yay. but no way. I don't know how you get through everything that you do. Oh, I've just got to organise my time tightly. And I... um, so this is such an interesting podcast because we're not just talking about the Bellbird River. We get to talk about all of the books and all of the themes, which I love to do so thank you oh no thank you so much for having me and thank you for reading the books oh I'm a huge Sophie Green fan (laughs) as you know I'm very lucky to have you reading my books welcome anytime really it's the female friendships that come from inconsequential activities for me that's your overarching thing would you agree yeah absolutely I would say yeah I look for devices where people are coming together for an activity or something that yes is part of everyday life it's it's not a one-off event because it's that regularity of contact it's what drives the story really it's what gives me the opportunity to bring them all together but it really is those people that you wouldn't normally be friends with in any other situation they're all different age brackets so yeah. I love that generational friendships that you have in lots of your books but I particularly oh my goodness the settings Sophie the settings every book is so different so uh I'm- yes the inaugural meeting of the Fairvale Ladies Book Club that came out of um, one of my several trips to the Northern Territory and anyone who's been there will know that that is just an irresistible landscape and for my imagination it was irresistible to create a story that was set there there's just it's really hard to describe it I I tried my hardest in Fairvale I don't feel I quite captured the feeling of being there because I don't think anyone can and I recommend to anyone to visit the territory and not be completely charmed and entranced and Mm. feel it getting under your skin the way it got under mine then Shelley Bay was started off well it is manly in Sydney and although I remember the first event I did for it was at your shop and there were people from your local area in Cronulla who were convinced it was 
was shy. Absolutely. <laughs> like, sorry to tell you, no, it is manly. But we just decided to change it. And then your Orange Blossom House, Cairns in far north Queensland, lush tropical landscape. And then Bellbird River is a made-up location, but it's very much near Tamworth in New South Wales, one of my favourite places. But they're all so distinctive, aren't they? They're just wonderful. You get to feel like you're really armchair travelling through them. Well, thank you. And next year's will be Southeast Queensland. So there you go. Yay, excellent. (laughs) I was hoping that we were going to hear more about what the next one is going to be. Well, I'll just say the Sunshine Coast and gardening. That's excellent. Great. (laughs) Cool. Now, of course, obviously, I bet you get asked all the time, but I have no idea how you do all that you do. You must just be such a time ninja. Incredible. (laughs) I think, well, I, I, always say on the question of time management, I don't sleep eight hours a night. I never have. And that's, everyone has their different sleep patterns. I, from childhood, have not been an eight hour sleeper. And my mother, who was a pediatric nurse, knew that children could have different sleep patterns. So she never tried to force me. Well, she forced me to have the occasional afternoon nap. So that was the clue that I was never going to be a big sleeper. I would not sleep in the afternoons. In fact, I would pretend to have been asleep. I would muss up my hair. I do all these things to try to convince her that I had been asleep and it never worked. So I guess, you know, I have a couple of extra hours a night than people who are eight-hour sleepers. And what I choose to do with those is write books, basically, and also indulge my hobby interviewing Australian country music artists. <laughs> and that's my choice. I mean, it's everyone can do with their time as they wish. I just do it that way. And I also can touch type. I taught myself in high school to touch type. And I, so this is also just to get to the point of how I can do things fairly quickly. Touch typing really helps me because I do have limited time, but I can get out quite a lot of words in a short right. space of time. So it's just practical yeah. things like that. And I do think it's important to say that rather than saying, oh, well, you know, I've just got this magic way of everything coming together because that's <laughs> not true. Like it, it's is, hard. <laughs> it is down to rigorous planning. And as you've heard me say in talks, I do a lot of planning for my novels before I start yes. writing, yeah. during the redrafting, and I think yes. I'm doing more now than I ever have. Yeah. I'm glad that you're so productive with your time and everything that you do is outward facing, I guess. Like I need and I sew, but nobody's ever going to see that. And I used to be a knitter, did that for quite a while. Love knitting. It's very satisfying. Yeah. But I do things that are not necessarily outward facing. I play guitar and sing. I don't perform. I used to be in a band. I was not playing guitar in that band. I was singing. That was a, quite a while ago. And look, if the and same that's how friend. you got into had, the country music, I think. Yeah. 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 So we were, I was in a country music band um, and I didn't like country music or so I thought. I was quite a snob about it. But it was a friend's band and I wanted to be in the band because I thought it would be fun. Mm. and it was fun and we played at Tamworth and there started a beautiful love story that continues to this day with me and Australian country music and I've picked up guitar in the last few years and just I play that for my own entertainment and when she forces me in her Christmas concert so (laughs) my guitar teacher is also my friend who was in the band actually so there's the connection there but that's not something that I dream of doing I just it's relaxation for me and I love playing a musical instrument so oh that's so cool but oh wow I'm even more in or now though (laughs) and also the yoga as well which we found out about in Thursdays which I loved but that's obviously also another huge part of your life and something that you spend hours doing 
It's yeah, I am. Um, I started teaching in 2002 and I was practicing for a few years before that. And on the day we're speaking, and I was up just before 5 a.m. to practice with my American teacher because she teaches via video. And I love being a student. Um, I do miss teaching. I just don't have the capacity to do it at the moment with the other things that are going on. Yeah. But if the opportunity presents itself to go back, I will. But it's, it's creatively intensive to teach because I come up with a different sequence every time or every week. Mm-hmm. If I'm, if I'm, it's always within me. And I do think of writing novels as a form of teaching yoga because everything I learned as a teacher, all the philosophy and about life and how to treat other people and how to be in the world and what our sense of the divine is, I think that's all bound up in writing fiction. So, yeah, I tend to feel like it's with me always. That makes sense. Just even more outward facing then than the class. (laughs) (laughs) We're all lucky to be benefiting from it. I did read that this morning actually that it's an analogy for living a full life, a full rich life is the way that you look at yoga, which is incredible. Yeah, I think it's given me the tools to stay alive. When I was very ill a few years ago, I'm quite sure that the only reason I made it through, apart from the Australian emergency healthcare system, was because I'd spent all these years basically training on the mat for something like that to happen. And that was down to my breathing and my ability to surrender to what was happening in the moment. All of these were things that I'd learnt as a yoga practitioner and also as a teacher to an extent that gave me a better chance of surviving what was a very dangerous illness. Yeah, all the components in the practice that were developed thousands of years ago, which have made it through to the 20th and then 21st centuries, teach us how to live in the world with minimal harm to others and minimal harm, well, minimal harm to living creatures, basically, and to the earth itself. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's if practitioners delve into the history and philosophy of yoga, then there's a lot to take away from it. Wow. So much to think about. Thank you. The other thing that came up, which I wasn't surprised about, was you were eight when you read The Thornbirds. Yeah. <laughs> I only just recently read that. Well, that's because it was on the shelf of my home and you know, my parents never censored my reading material. My mother was the person who taught me to read before I went to school and I think she was probably hoping I'd entertain myself instead of badgering her to read <laughs> stories to me. And, yeah, she just took the philosophy that whatever was there was fair game yeah. and she trusted that if I didn't understand it, then it would go over the top of my head. And there was plenty in the Thornbirds I didn't understand, obviously. Yes. But yeah, yeah. There was a lot that I did, including the landscape writing, and that sense of a big Australian story really stuck with me from that age, and that led to Fairvale. And uh, because the whole reason Fairvale was set in 1978 was because the Thornbirds was to be the first They're reading it, aren't they? Yeah, and that was published in the middle of 77, and I thought, okay, how long long will it take women in the Northern Territory to hear about the Thornbirds at that time, get their mitts onto a copy and read it? And so I decided that the middle of 78 would be appropriate. But that book was hugely important for female readers, I think, in Australia, Mm -hmm. around the world. But it was Colleen McCulloch really stating that you could have this big story set in the Australian landscape with big themes and essentially it's a massive soap opera, which is great. Mm. (laughs) Soap operas are wonderful. So, yeah, I think it's a hugely influential book and it's not a writing style that would work now necessarily. No. But yes, still that's what really I got important. from it. Yeah, yeah. But obviously there's fashions of writing and it was very descriptive and stereotypical. But I, then I thought, well, it made the stereotypes really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was, you can't judge it by today's standard. But, yeah, it was just a completely different style to the one that I enjoyed reading and mm. it just it showed a lot because it was so popular. I'm sure that I remember seeing it on all types of bookshelves <laughs> when I was little and that was like mid-80s I would have been going around visiting people's houses and yeah it was everywhere I couldn't wait to read it. Was. it. 
Yeah, everyone knew about it. There was a TV series and, and yeah, it was it was massive. Now, tell me, you also worked on Home and Away, An Eye for an Eye. Now, I did not know that you were a Home and Away fan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I wrote the novelization of that one and many years ago was the Home and Away website producer. So I worked at an early version of the Seven Networks online team and Home and Away was a big part of my job and I had not watched it before that. And so much like my country music conversion, that was my Home and Away conversion and I became hooked and I let it go for a while and then when the opportunity came up to write that and I wrote another Home and Away spin-off novel around the time of An Eye for an Eye, I went back to watching it again and watching it steadily got hooked again and I was observing the storytelling patterns within it. So I was trying to work out exactly how they could do it, how they could hook people in with every single episode and then from Mm. week to week. And I realised that um, there is a distinct pattern. If you start a scene on an up note, it will end on a down note and the reverse is also true. So essentially the audience is going up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down the whole time. And by the end, they feel like they've had a real experience because they've been through all these emotions. And then of course, there's always a cliffhanging ending and it could be a minor cliffhanger, but still enough to to leave you thinking, oh, wow, what happens next? And, And every episode I will watch the coming next bits and I never like to miss them I think well that's also clever that someone like me who watches regularly will still sit there and watch the coming next <laughs> bits because they just do it really really well and, and they they tackle big themes they manage to introduce new characters and exit old characters yeah. without the story breaking essentially yes. and that's because of their dedication to the location so the setting of Summer Bay which is Palm Beach in Sydney for those who don't know and then also the themes that have run through for the past 30-odd years that it's been on air, they stay really true to that. So it started off as a show about fostering. And I, you can see in the storylines that run through it even today, this idea that you make family out of people who aren't blood-related to you is prime in the Home and Away universe. So that's part of how they can get new characters in and have them very quickly mm-hmm. into the storyline mm-hmm. and also part of how they can let people go because it's, it's an ever-renewing source of potential Mm. new friends and connections so they just do it in a really really smart way and home and away continues to do extremely well in the ratings it continues Mm. to be shown overseas and yes there are a lot of people who poo poo that show in particular and would have done it to neighbors as well which has just been Mm. revivified by amazon but that storytelling is really hard to pull off in a way that can capture a large audience so i often suggest that people who are interested in storytelling to a large audience watch home and away and really look at how they're doing it Look at how the characters speak, how the, you know, the storylines they get in there, the way they mm. move things along. There is not a single sentence in a Home and Away script that's wasted. And that's a good policy for novel writing as well. It doesn't mean yeah. that you have to have action all the time. And sometimes that can be where people get confused. They think in a novel, oh, I've got to have action everywhere and that's how I move it along. No, you just don't waste your reader's time. Every mm. single line that goes in there has to be useful, even if it's not useful right at that point in time. It mm. might be that you're seeding something that will pop up later but it's still got to be useful and if it's not useful it's out so yeah but you're right Dave's daughter went through a real big home and away stage and I found myself just sitting there mesmerized as well it is it's really easy to watch I get it yeah the reason why it's easy to watch uh, is partly the pace but also you can get into it quickly because they're really good at referencing what you need to know so if you're in a scene and they're talking about something that actually had its origins maybe two weeks ago in another scene there will be a quick reference to the information from that scene in the current scene 
so that the viewer is comfortable. So you get the context for what's going on. So they're just really adept at weaving in information as it's needed, but mm. no more than is needed. Wow. Oh, that's so clever. Yeah, it, no, it is. It's really, yeah, really clever. And they have a really solid writing team and they've had the same series producer, Lucy Adaro, for a really long time. So she's yeah. got overview of the world. Yes. I know the author, Kanina May, used to be a writer on Home and Away and she's said before how much of a machine it is and they know exactly what they're doing. And yeah, and I love her book, so I'm not surprised. Yeah. You are obviously not reading as much as what I am. Yeah. <laughs> what are you reading at the moment? I am. I'm reading Benjamin Stevenson's Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone. Oh my gosh, how good is it? Are you loving it? It is so good. And I heard it described as cozy crime and it doesn't fit the cozy crime setup of the murder she wrote kind of thing or even the Richard Osman thing. But what it has in common with Richard Osman is it's a really deft touch of moving through the story. But for anyone who hasn't read it, Benjamin's used some interesting devices, some fairly metatextual devices within the text that in someone else's hands could be quite tricky to pull off, but he's really done it so well. And it's just a delight to read. I wasn't expecting to love it like I did. Oh my goodness. I think he just did such a good job with it. I was right there for it. So good. Yeah. So clever. So funny. So yeah. And so I can't, can't wait to see what he writes next. Yeah. Same. Such a mystery to be solved as well. Yeah. Yeah. I consciously did not cool. want to waste your time. Thank you. And You're I not at all wasting, wasting my time. I'm happy that if you have any more questions you want to ask, go for it. You're not wasting oh, my time. Everything. How do you come up with your social media? The videos that you were doing to inspire writers to start off with was unreal. I oh, got heaps out of that trying to do my own small business. It was so good. Oh, thank you. Well, I just look, social media is not something that I was wildly comfortable about doing, but I do realize it's a good idea and and people people expect it. I put myself on camera to do my country music interviews. And without doing that, I wouldn't have been able to do those videos as an author. So Mm. I really was not keen on being on camera, but I realized from the interviewing point of view that video is the currency of the internet and my artists my artists, the artists I'm interviewing are performers. And so people are used to seeing them. So it was a good idea to to do the video if they were comfortable with it. And they pretty much all are. So I got used to filming then and got used to- I think it would probably be quicker. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's, well, it's a lot quicker than doing the transcripts and writing up articles and more people see the videos than we're reading the articles. So having done that, I was then thinking, well, what can I offer from an author point of view that might be useful? And I'm often asked when giving talks in my day job capacity as a publisher, tips for writing, you know, all sorts of things. And and there are things that I've learned through teaching yoga in particular about creativity. And so I just thought I'm just going to write down everything that I've either ever been asked or any tip I've given. Mm. And then I'll just make some short videos out of them because that's probably the most useful thing because there are things that apply across creative practice, whether it's writing a book or writing a song. And I've actually got to say uh, some of the stuff has come from interviewing musicians over the years, the things that I've discussed with them. I often talk to them about their song writing practice and how they organize their time a lot of them and Mm. so I've learned a lot from that so those tips just got aggregated into a list and then I set about making videos and rolled them out and now I have no idea what to do (laughs) that was that was the big project I think I'm done on social media content I know that's a huge project that's definitely I don't know maybe now for TikTok I'll make 15 second versions who knows (laughs) who's got the time I don't know I'm trying to get my head around Pinterest oh yeah (laughs) me too I've just got a YouTube channel that I would like to start working on but oh my goodness who has the time for any more I know it's a lot on YouTube they all keep changing their what they're doing and Instagram has now I can't put up a full video it's reels only oh anyway yeah 
it's a full-time job and most of it's us already have those. shifting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, All right. Thank you okay. so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I you. And it was lovely to talk to you. Oh, it was an honour. Such an <laughs> honour. Thank you. Oh, anytime. I'll talk to you soon. See you. Okay, so that's it for this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Please leave a review wherever you can, but especially where you found my Readable podcast. If you'd like more connection, please head on over to thereadable.com.au. There's plenty of book reviews and recommendations there, and that's also where you'll find my blog. And I would love, love, love to welcome you into our community. There's a membership page on readable.com.au. There are three levels. The first is free, and I'm so hoping that you would like to help me build my online community where we can enjoy reading more together. Thank you.